Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline. And today's episode is called Harry Podcast and the Polyjuice Potion. Today we will be discussing foreshadowing in Dumbledore's office, what Lucius doesn't tell Draco, and why Rowling decided to remove Hermione from the action of this chapter. So David, today I'm wondering if you could change into any person, I think I'm going to say living, uh, mm-hmm. currently living, using Polyjuice Potion, who would it be and why? Um, well... There's probably a better answer than this, but I think it would be really cool to be able to get into some of those like elite clubs that are behind closed doors, you know, just so so like um, maybe a change into uh, someone who belongs to the Skull and Bones Society or like um, uh, the Captain's Lounge at American Airlines or something like that. I don't know. It'd just be fun to like go into one of those secret clubs. So something where you could get in somewhere that you wouldn't be able to get in before. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Well, I was thinking, I think that's a good answer. Like, I I would maybe do, like, some sort of celebrity that could get into some party or some place that I wouldn't be able to before. But I was also thinking that maybe I would want to change into my twin sister because we're, you know, we're twins and we're alike, but we're also different. And I think it would be interesting to see what it's actually like to be her Uh since I don't know exactly what it's like that is interesting yeah. so i would probably do that and it would be fun if we could switch into each other for a day <laughs> yeah so in this chapter uh it begins when harry enters dumbledore's office for the first time and he looks around the room and he sees among other things the sorting hat and he tries it on again but then he whips it off his head when the hat repeats what it told him the first time which is that he would have done well in slytherin Harry also sees Fox, Dumbledore's pet phoenix, and mistakenly thinks the bird is has died when it bursts into flames, before Dumbledore then explains what phoenixes are. Hagrid then comes into the office to defend Harry and vouch for his alibi during the attack, but Dumbledore assures both of them that he does not suspect Harry of the attacks. The trio, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, decide to stay at school over the holidays, and Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle do as well, which is convenient for their plans to use Polyjuice Potion to get Malfoy to confess. So their plan is, after Christmas dinner, Harry and Ron lure Crab and Goyle with cakes laced with a sleeping draft, and then pull out some of their hairs, stuff them in a broom closet, and sneak back upstairs to use the potion. Hermione says that she already has the hair she needs, as she got one off Millicent Bolstrode's robes during the dueling club. They then drink the potion. Harry and Ron turn into Crab and Goyle, according to plan, but Hermione mysteriously won't come out of her bathroom stall and tells them to go on without her. Harry and Ron attempt to find the entrance to the Slytherin common room, and on the way, run into Percy in the dungeons. Luckily, Malfoy comes along and they follow him there. Malfoy gives the two of them an article detailing Arthur Weasley's punishment at the Ministry for bewitching the flying Fort Anglia they crashed into the Whomping Willow. Malfoy then lets slip that he doesn't know who the heir is, but he wishes he did. He mentions that Lucius knows something about the chamber, but will not give him details. He also lets slip that his father has dark artifacts hidden under the floor of their manor. Harry and Ron then begin to change back into themselves, and so they run back to the bathroom only to find that Hermione has a cat face and a tail. She realized that she must have gotten a cat hair off of Millicent's robes by accident. 
The boys convince her to leave the stall and go to the hospital wing for treatment. Okay, so a lot happens in this chapter, but before we get to the meat of the chapter, let's talk about some major foreshadowing that happens. So first, what happens with the sorting hat and Harry? Right, so Harry puts on the hat because he wants to ask it whether it truly thinks that he would have done well in Slytherin, basically, because he's worrying about his own personal connections to Slytherin House, and with the attacks going on, he's even starting to doubt that he's not the heir of Slytherin like everyone thinks he is. Mm -hmm. So he puts the hat on, and the hat says, Aha, yes, well, I stand by what I said. You would have done well in Slytherin. And Harry is just so appalled by this. He's like, No, you're wrong. Um, And so there's a lot of foreshadowing in that moment, but it's interesting to examine it from the lens of what a first-time reader sees in this moment Mm -hmm. versus what Harry thinks is happening versus what we actually learn is the truth at the end of the series. Yeah, so Harry thinks that the hat is about to confirm that he should have been in Slytherin, so he kind of interrupts the hat by taking the hat off right away um, when the hat says that. Mm -hmm. Um, So Harry thinks that that's what's happening. Um, We as readers think, you know, maybe that's true at this point. We're kind of with Harry. We're not totally sure. Um, And... What we actually know is true is that the reason why the Hat thinks that Harry would have done well in Slytherin is because she sees um, Voldemort in him. Yeah. So that that connection, the um, the scar connection, essentially, mm-hmm. is what the Hat is picking up on here because it's sort of assaying his whole brain for you know what house he should be in. Right, so the ha- the hat is assessing Harry to see which house he should be in, and she ultimately decides on Gryffindor, which I think shows that even though Harry has the part of Voldemort in him, and the part that's the Horcrux, and he does have some ambition and some of those qualities, that Gryffindor qualities really do override that in him. And I think it's not just, you know, in terms of what house he's in, but I think it's showing us early on that even when Harry finds out that he's a Horcrux, he still has majority good in him. Mm-hmm. And not to say, again, that Gryffindor is good and Slytherin is evil, right. but one of the defining themes of this book and what sets it apart from all the other books in the series is about the dichotomy within Harry of this you know, bravery, courage against these other Slytherin traits that yeah. he does have. Right. Um, and and pulling him in two different directions and he's being torn between, you know, the, the Slytherin side of him and the Gryffindor side of him. And ultimately at the end of this book, um, you know, will will be the climax and, and his ultimate decisions. Yeah. And and it will confirm um, you know, what what the reader sees in Harry essentially is a hero. So there's lots of cool stuff about Dumbledore's office, but the other major thing for this book that we're concerned with is Fox the Phoenix. So what do we learn about phoenixes in this chapter? So we learn a few things that will come up later when Fox saves Harry from the Chamber of Secrets. So Fox um, is a phoenix and phoenixes can carry heavy loads. Their tears also have healing powers. And we learn that they're very faithful pets. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we also have this kind of metaphor of, you know, Harry as a symbolic phoenix of maybe rising from the ashes in a way. Right. Because the other thing about phoenixes that you forgot to say, I think, is that they are dead and reborn right. from their ashes yes. every so often. Yes. So they, they burst into flame and then, you know, they turn into a chick and are reborn. Yes. 
So that's the main thing about them, and that's what Harry sees, and he gets scared. Then Dumbledore tells those other things about them. And it's interesting to think about Harry being a symbolic phoenix because he does die and is reborn, you know, a couple of times in a way. Even just in this book, you know, there's this idea that he sort of dies because he starts fading. Right. uh, And then he sort of comes back because of the healing power Mm -hmm. of the phoenix. Um, I also think that he exemplifies all three of these traits of phoenixes that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. The heavy load, the healing powers, faithful pet, Mm -hmm. you know. Harry is all of those, or can do all of those things. Um, yeah. You know, he, he has this incredible burden. Dumbledore expresses right. that a lot. He, you know, healing powers might be a stretch, but we've seen that he is very good at protecting people. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. sort of like healing powers. Um, and then, you know, the faithfulness. Uh, he is very a faithful loyal. pet to Dumbledore in many ways. Oh, that's an interesting way. Yeah, yeah. that Harry, that's so true. And in a lot of the ways that, are kind of good and bad about that. Yeah, right? Because, yeah. like, anytime Dumbledore calls on him, Harry is there. Right. And sometimes it's to put himself into danger, and sometimes it's incredibly risky or 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 something that Hermione might call brash and stupid. But Harry is always at Dumbledore's beck and call whenever he needs him to be. Um, and in that way, he is very similar to this pet phoenix that Dumbledore has. Yeah, and he keeps kind of rejuvenating himself. I mean, if we think of it, even at the end of every book, it's almost like Harry dies or like has a close brush with death mm-hmm. so it's really um this kind of each book is being reborn harry again mm-hmm. a little bit stronger so there's a lot a lot of places to go with this phoenix idea definitely and of course um you know there is also the parallel to like christ imagery um you know the death and re- reborn kind of thing and the healing powers that kind of stuff you know it all it all sort of draws this idea of of some sort of savior figure um, and we see a lot of that imagery placed on Harry throughout the whole series. Another brief thing that gets a little bit foreshadowed related to Ginny, again, checking up on Ginny each chapter, um, Fred and George are making fun of Harry and, you know, thinking that he is like the heir of Slytherin. Um, well, they're and, making fun of the idea that right. he is the heir of Slytherin. Yeah. Like, and so Harry jokes about it. So Harry feels comforted by that because he's like, oh, they're, they're kidding. They know that I'm actually not the heir of Slytherin. But Ginny is there and she gets really distraught by um, friend George saying that and just seems really stressed. And as the reader, we may just think, oh, she's so young. She's scared because of all these attacks happening. Mm, she's being sensitive or something. Right. Um, but we know that she's clearly getting to the point where she knows something's going on and she knows that she has something to do with it and she mm-hmm. is getting extremely stressed. Yeah. And as we're going to see, uh, I think it happens next chapter. Um, she starts to feel like she's losing control because of the diary and tries to get rid of it. So mm-hmm. clearly she knows that something is wrong mm-hmm. with her yeah. and that she's maybe even the person behind all these attacks. And so all of this joking around that Fred and George are doing, it just makes her more upset. Right. And then we have another fun little red herring. Um, we often see Percy being sketchy in this book. And I kind of love that because mm-hmm. it sets him up as this like, you know, kind of skeezy person who's like flying under the radar, but maybe he's got some other stuff going on in the background. Um, We see him in this chapter in the dungeons and, you know, Ron as, as crab is like, why are you doing down here? Right. And um, Percy basically is like, I'm a prefect. I can be wherever I want. And we, as the reader might think, Oh, he's investigating. Mm -hmm, You know, he's snooping around looking for clues like near the Slytherin common room. Maybe he's even trying to investigate the Slytherins too. Or we may suspect him because we don't really know at this point. Sure. Yeah. We may even suspect Percy, but um, 
you know, there's a lot of reasons why Percy would be a bad candidate for the heir of Slytherin, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's in the Weasley family. And if Percy were the heir of Slytherin, that means that so is Ron and so are Fred and George and yeah. so is Ginny, whatever. In any case, the real reason that he's down there is, and we get a clue about this in this chapter, mm-hmm. um, a Ravenclaw girl is seen leaving the same area that Percy leaves a minute later. And it's Penelope Clearwater, and she's a Ravenclaw prefect. And then Percy leaves that same area about a minute later. Mm-hmm. And uh, astute readers may note that they are, in fact, having a thing go on. And that's that's the whole reason why Percy is sketchy this entire book. Yeah. Um, but they kind of hint at that. So there's been tons of clues about that, as we've mentioned, um, leading up to this. You know, he's stayed holed up in his room all summer, writing lots of letters and et cetera, et cetera. There's, we've talked about all of that before, but here is an example of where we actually see the two of them sort of together, mm-hmm. um, placed in the same page of the same chapter. So moving away from foreshadowing, the first major thing that I noticed on this reread, which I don't think I'd really ever thought about before, is that um, when Harry originally is in Dumbledore's office, he's looking at the phoenix, Dumbledore comes in, they start to talk for a few seconds and then Hagrid bursts in and he's immediately defending Harry saying he didn't do it he wasn't behind the attacks he was with me right beforehand it couldn't have happened you know Mm -hmm. he's really rushing to Harry's defense so I mean there's a couple reasons for this one is you know Harry is innocent Hagrid wants to basically be an alibi for Harry but also we know that Hagrid was also falsely accused of opening the chamber of secrets and got expelled for it so Hagrid's role in this whole book is i think also really interesting to think about yeah and this is the first time we really see him getting emotional about it and it's in relation to harry because he thinks the same thing's going to happen to harry who he cares about Mm -hmm. um and we also see dumbledore calmly reassuring him in a way that's sort of like okay i know why you're so upset hagrid Mm -hmm. but um i don't this isn't what i think i'm not gonna accuse harry um but I think we'll talk way more about this in a later chapter when we find out about Hagrid. But I think it's really interesting to see that Hagrid is a little bit starting to fall apart with this reopening as well. Because he's worried about what's going to happen. Yeah. And what's also just great about Hagrid and, and is so consistent with him throughout the whole series is that he is maybe even the only person in Harry's life that wants to be his parent for no other reason than just that he wants to. He cares about him. You yeah. know, he he wants to he wants to be Harry's protector and friend and mentor and, yeah. and everything that Harry needs and he has no ulterior motive. Mm-hmm. He he's not trying to replace something in his life or or try to get his old best friend back like Sirius was right. or or that he needs a protege and a sacrificial lamb at the same time like Dumbledore. You know, he really is just a, a kind-hearted person who sees an orphan like he is mm-hmm. and wants to be his, his mentor. And Hagrid is just such a great person. And I really can't say enough good things about him as a character. But his, yeah, you're right. Like his role in this book is very interesting. And I think we're going to see a lot more um, of Hagrid than we would expect, maybe. So next I want to break down in detail the not- conversation that harry and dumbledore have because very avoidant conversation it's it's very avoidant yes uh because it is interesting what they don't tell each other and i think it has very grave consequences for the rest of this Mm -hmm. book so let's start from the top dumbledore asks harry if harry has anything to tell him and harry thinks about four things he thinks about malfoy shouting you'll be next mudbloods he thinks about the polyjuice potion that they're going to use to get information from malfoy 
He thinks about the disembodied voices he keeps hearing and what Ron said about it, basically saying that hearing voices nobody else can hear is not good, even in the wizarding world. And then finally, he thinks about the rumors about him, about Harry, and his own fears of having a Slytherin connection, which are, have just been amplified by the Sorting Hat. Mm-hmm. Um, but he decides to tell Dumbledore about none of this. So what do you think? Why doesn't he explain himself to Dumbledore at all? Why doesn't he share any of this stuff? I think that a few things. One, he doesn't want Dumbledore to put a stop to their secret planning against Malfoy. Mm-hmm. I think that he thinks and is right in a lot of ways of that, you know, Dumbledore thinks of Malfoy as a regular student and will, you know, treat him with the same rights that he would treat other students. So he's not going to allow him to be falsely accused either and is not going to allow him to be tricked mm-hmm. in that way. Right. Um, so he doesn't want to kind of reveal all these things. Also, had they stole from Snape, you know, all this stuff. Um, another thing is that, you know, Ron and has been talking to Harry about how hearing voices is kind of a crazy thing. And he is still in a place where he's really scared and doesn't have really an idea about why he's hearing these voices, but he doesn't want to seem crazy. Um, he doesn't want to seem like he is behind the attacks. You know, he thinks that if he brings up some of the stuff that Dumbledore is going to think he actually does have something to do with it. So he has all these fragments and he's just worried that he doesn't know what to share because he'll, it seems like he either wants to share all or nothing. And if he shares all of it, it seems too risky. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't want to pick any part of it. Um, because he just doesn't think that's going to be helpful. I think also there's the fact that we we may overemphasize Harry and Dumbledore's relationship in this scene, but, you know, as we may be forgetting, Harry is only 12. He's only had a, a couple conversations with Dumbledore in his life, and uh, this is new territory for him. He's in Dumbledore's office. He thinks he's about to get in huge trouble, mm-hmm. and I think he's scared, and I think he doesn't really trust Dumbledore with that sort of personal information. Mm-hmm. And I think he also doesn't want to worry Dumbledore too deeply about him. So I think it's a combination of things. But there's also the the fact that Dumbledore, as headmaster and, and as a, a teacher of many, many decades, I feel like should maybe have a better sense of what 12-year-olds are like, especially right. precocious 12-year-olds like Harry, and and maybe should understand a little bit better how to get him to open up a little bit more than he is. And yeah, Dumbledore's he just extremely kind of wise. Yeah. But Dumbledore, he basically just says like, hey, anything you want to tell me? And then Harry says, mm, no. And Dumbledore's like, okay, see ya. Right. And I mean, also, we know that Dumbledore has information about what's going on. He chooses not to trust Harry with it. So reciprocal. Right, right. So Harry doesn't trust Dumbledore enough to tell him. Dumbledore also is holding back here, too. So he knows that it's somehow Voldemort or Tom Riddle doing this, but he doesn't know how that's right. happening. Um, and even though that might be scary and he doesn't have a lot of details to give Harry, you know, Voldemort being somehow involved directly affects Harry's personal safety mm-hmm. um, He and the safety of everyone else. But also he just faced Voldemort last year. It's not like this is all news to Harry or that... Voldemort didn't somehow sneak into the castle before. You know, there's all these things that right. it would be... I don't know exactly how he would share it, but he might want to be like, hey, like, anything that you notice that's unusual might be helpful because, like, it could be similar to what happened last year and, you know, let's talk about it yeah. and let's be open. So it's it's hard to see what he could have done differently, but I think that 
he could have definitely tried to get Harry to open up and he could have given him a little something and just saying like, you know, I don't have any details. I don't know what's going on, but I do think that something dangerous might be happening. And um, here's what I know or suspect. Here's or what I maybe think. suspect. I think it could be related to you, but I don't think that, you know, you are to be blamed. And yeah, he could have used some more skills to get this out. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I don't like playing the what if game, but I it, reading a scene like this, you can't help but wonder what would have happened if things had been different. Mm-hmm. You know, if they had trusted each other or if Dumbledore had been the one to, to make the trust move first and say, like, let me entrust you with this information that I have mm-hmm. and then I, I need something back from you. Because if they do pull their information, that could change everything. I mean, Dumbledore probably already has somewhat of a picture of what the monster is like. As we discussed last chapter, there are a lot of clues about what it could be. And it's something Medusa-like, and there may be a snake connection as well. If we impart the information that Harry knows, which is like, I've been hearing voices, and they always coincide with these attacks, Mm -hmm. you know, then Dumbledore could have that eureka moment where he thinks it's a snake, Mm -hmm. because Harry can hear it and no one else can, and also it must be moving around somehow in the walls, Mm -hmm. because no one else can see it, except when the attacks happen. So I think really Dumbledore could have benefited greatly from just a little bit more give and take with Harry. Definitely. And I think this is also the beginning of the kind of lack of sharing information that Dumbledore does with Harry throughout the rest of the series. And Mm -hmm. even though right now Harry's young and, you know, it's a two-way street, Dumbledore does have the power here and this is the start of it. And he kind of, I think, builds up this lack of sharing things with Harry Mm -hmm. while still using Harry... Um, for what he wants. And I think that this is kind of the initial conversation that's like that. Yeah. And not to get too much into this, but uh, in Rita Skeeter's biography of Albus Dumbledore, she notes, or she characterizes him as, as a person who deals in secrets, basically, mm-hmm. who always played his cards very close to the chest. And this is a scene that really exemplifies that because, you know, we we know that Dumbledore knows stuff and we know that Dumbledore giving Harry that information could have been critical to his his safety and, and his survival. But instead of entrusting Harry with those secrets, he decides not to. And I think that's a mistake. And I think Dumbledore makes a lot of mistakes in the series. And it's interesting to examine because, specifically because, when we read this for the first time as children, Dumbledore seemed like this all-powerful being. Right. He's, he's almost like God in the mm-hmm. books. He's so powerful and wise and... Everybody knows that he's the greatest wizard of who's ever lived. But even he makes mistakes, and I think it's great to be able to come back as adults now and see how his follies have affected the books as they go on. So getting to the scene where Harry and Ron, as Crabbe and Goyle, using the potion, do speak to Malfoy. Um, We find out what Draco knows and doesn't know. So we first find out, most importantly, that he is not the heir of Slytherin, and he doesn't know who is. Mm-hmm. Um, he does know that last time a girl was killed and that there was a culprit that was apprehended. So I guess a suspect, we can say, which we know is Hagrid that we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned someone being killed, which up until now, um, no one's been killed and no one's been revived yet. But we this kind of adds a new, a new element of of danger, danger yes. and seriousness to this. Um, he also mentions Azkaban, the wizard prison. 
um, for the first time. Obviously, that's crucial later on, and we know that that's where Hagrid went. So we know that he's kind of heard these scraps of things Mm -hmm. from Lucius, but Lucius does not tell him, you know, what's in the chamber, you know, what's good about it, who opened it, all that stuff. Right. So he seems... Like, he knows just a little bit more than everybody else does, but it's still not much. And so we can ask, you know, why doesn't Lucius give Draco these details? And we can answer maybe that, you know, remembering his conversation with Draco at the start of the book in Borgen and Burks, maybe his faith in Draco's abilities is weak because his low performance in school as compared to Hermione's and other people's. Um, and, And maybe he doesn't trust Draco to stay out of it. Right. Because he's basically like... The whole plan of Lucius is, is to set up the Weasleys to mm-hmm. fall. But if Draco gets himself involved, then all of a sudden Draco's to blame and then and then they're going to trace it back to Lucius. So maybe he just really wanted to cover all of his bases there. It seems like it. Yeah. And, you know, we see through this scene as well, the Malfoy and Weasley family feud continuing. Yep. So we see um, Draco hands Crab, who's really Ron, the... Um, the, the news clipping from the right. Daily Prophet. The news clipping where it talks about Arthur Weasley being in trouble for bewitching the car. Right. Um, there's also a little bit more talk about Arthur investigating. Um, Malfoy Manor. Malfoy Manor. Um, and, you know, then Draco accidentally gives a clue of where to check for the dark artifacts under the forewords. Mm-hmm. Um So that's just another way that we see this feud is happening and another kind of hint as to, you know, the Ginny kind of context of this. Yes. And there's another part of this scene that I really like, which is that we get a side of Draco that we haven't gotten before, which is like how he talks to his friends. Mm -hmm. And what's clear when we see him talking to his friends is that his personality is coming through much more strongly in this chapter. And when we see that, we see that the foil of Draco and Harry is made much more apparent. And I wanted to compare that in a couple of ways. So Draco wishes that he were the heir of Slytherin. Right. He's he like, I like wish that. I knew yeah. who it was. I could help them. I wish I was the heir of Slytherin. Yeah. Harry is afraid that he might be connected in some weird yeah, esoteric way with the heir. Yeah. He doesn't want anything to do with it. And and we also see why Draco wants to be the heir. He wants the the prestige and the fame that comes with being born as something. Mm-hmm. You know, he was born high class, but he, that's not even enough for him. He wants to be born special. Right. Um, and while on the opposite side of the coin, Harry was born special. Mm-hmm. He's famous for something he doesn't even remember, but he hates it. Right. And like Harry wants to prove himself worthy of the fame that he already has by being a hero. Yeah. Whereas Draco just wants to have been born famous. Right. Like to me, it's kind of the idea more of like old money and new money a little bit. It's mm-hmm. not the same, like, but the idea of, you know, it to work for something um, and to earn something like especially fame, wealth and status is you know, not seen as good by Malfoy in this sort of, like, old money, pure blood standard of, like, we have this, we were born with this, this is not something that you can get, this is not something that you, Weasleys, low class, you know, muggle-born, whatever people can work up to this high level of wizardry and Mm -hmm. being special and being magic. So they want to be even more and more exclusive, which was also Slytherin's idea. 
So um, lastly, we wanted to talk about this whole chunk of the chapter where our master planner, mastermind, Hermione Granger is just written out of mm-hmm. this thing that she had been planning for months and months and months. Um, and it's kind of weird that she's just written out of all of this. So let's just dive deeper into it and, and investigate maybe some of the reasons why Rowling might have kept her out of this, this scene where they're talking to Malfoy. Yeah, so I guess first assuming like in world context, what might this be? Well, okay, it seems like kind of an amateur mistake for Hermione to mistake a cat hair for a human hair. You know, she is under a lot of stress right now. She Mm -hmm. really wanted things to work. She may have in the moment grabbed a hair off Milton and then said, okay, this is what we're going to do. You know, she's really trying to scramble for these things, but she still is usually on top of that. Um, But she definitely is stressed. But it doesn't, in in terms of the in-world ideas, it doesn't seem like there's any real reason besides that to keep her out of the scene. Yeah, and that's, I think, what bothers a lot of people about this, is that it's a very weak reason in-universe, and it doesn't make a lot of sense, because Mm -hmm. it's not the kind of mistake that Hermione would normally make. Right. But, I, I mean, it's understandable, I guess, and it makes sense. No one's saying that it's a plot hole. We're just saying, like, hey, it's kind of weird that she's just written out of this scene when she was so important. She was so instrumental in getting this whole plan into place. Right. So why would Rowling actually keep her out? Because, I mean, she's done literally all of the planning and preparations. Yeah. Harry and Ron barely go along with it at the beginning. She has to force them. And then they get to become the adventurous heroes actually doing it. Um, so one argument, I guess, from a writing standpoint is what would her role have actually been in this scene? I mean... Probably she wouldn't have talked to Malfoy because she's not his friend. She's just another Slytherin. So she might have probably been more just on the lookout, on the side, maybe keeping guard. Also Mm -hmm. watching to see if Harry and Ron were changing quickly, which they don't notice. Right. It takes them a couple seconds to notice. It's also important to note that Millicent Bolstrode went home for Christmas. So explaining her presence back at the common room is something that would have had to happen. Hermione said she would just say, oh, I decided to come back. Right. But people might have thought that was weird. It, you know, the the annoying thing is that we don't get to see what would have happened because she's not in the scene. But um, that she, is another yeah. thing to consider. And if, thinking about Rowling, you know, if that's – Rowling wrote that in as well. So she could have not written that Millicent went home for Christmas right, right. if she wanted her to do that. Or she could have had her <laughs> that's a good point. be someone else. You know, she – it's not like, oh, whoops, we got ourselves into this. It's like – you could just change that and say that she also stayed. Right. So now we have to think about why is Hermione not in this scene from a writing perspective. So um, my only idea is that she doesn't add that much to, to the scene by being in it because mm-hmm. Ron and her, Harry accomplished what they wanted to accomplish without her. So maybe it was just the the idea of adding another character into that scene was too confusing or too crammed full of characters right. or something. Or maybe Malfoy would have wanted to kick everyone else out because of the common room for them to talk about something serious but it seems like also again a pretty weak reason Mm -hmm. especially since she's the one that planned this and presumably would have thought through you know all those loopholes and reasons why she could have you know not been there to talk to Malfoy or something um so it really seems like It seems in a way like the idea that this happened really anti-feminist in a lot of ways, especially since Hermione gets petrified for the whole end of the book after basically finding out 
doing all the background research on yeah, all this stuff. Yeah, discovering what the monster is. So even after this whole scene where she becomes a cat, which is weird, and then she um, gets to be not a cat, she quickly gets petrified again, and she's not in there for any of the other heroic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and this book as well, you know, Ginny's possession by the diary, and she doesn't have agency in this as well, so... It's kind of a strange vibe for the women that are, like, supposed to be strong in this book not having any agency and being, you know, literally taken over by some other things. Yeah, and I think that is really important to Ginny's development as a character is that she, you know, having had this really traumatic experience, she grows and becomes a very strong woman and a strong character later on. Mm -hmm. But. She's obviously not a strong woman in this book. She's only 11, and she gets taken advantage of in a big right. way. But Hermione um, is showing all of this agency in other ways. She re- She's doing all this brave risking. We've talked about how yeah. she's, um, you know, been bold enough to actually do the stealing and breaking of rules. And so it doesn't make sense that she would, you know, be backed out in this way. Mm-hmm. And it also, you know, it shows how she is marginalized as a Muggleborn in this in this universe of where Muggleborns are seen as lesser by some people. You know, she basically is a target, and she has to like hide in, and she can't, you know, take credit for her intelligence because she is a target. Yeah, they have to have, you know, the they're men, and they're also pure bloods. Well, I Harry's half blood, but yeah, I yeah, see what you're saying. You know, more not Muggleborns do the kind of taking credit for her planning and intelligence. Um, and I was also wondering if maybe changing into a cat is kind of a metaphorical way that debases her even further. I mean, it's like she's turning into an animal um, and is not fully a person. I mean, this is kind of a stretch, but it just seems, you know, interesting to me that that is, again, like the whole climax of this ending of this chapter and is you know is this maybe how the world sees her or is this a prediction of the powerlessness of muggleborns if evil wins you know in in the in the world where the the heir of slytherin really does get to cleanse the school of muggleborns like they're animals they're not humans they have to hide away and they should really just get out of here they can't be involved i mean it's a Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what, how much Rowling thought through all these things we're talking about, but I do think that it's interesting and really strange doing a reread. Knowing mm-hmm. what, it seemed just kind of silly and sad for Hermione at, in the moment when the first reads through, but now it seems a really weird choice. Yeah, and I do still think it's pretty funny. I, I think yeah. that there's definitely this angle that we've been talking about where you can you can view it in this lens. But uh, if you want to view it from just a straightforward kind of silly childish lens, it's just humorous because she gets turned into a cat and oops, you know, but, um, and it's funny to think about a cat person, especially with like Hermione's voice and and face and stuff. I think Um, it's, I think if it weren't that she then got petrified for the rest of the book, that kind of adds another thing, (laughs) you know, if she got to then do something later, but she barely has a chapter of like being normal again before she gets petrified. Yeah, it is unfortunate. And um, yeah, it's it's pretty weird. I mean, we don't typically think of Rowling as being an anti-feminist writer in any way. Um, But just, you know, based on this this chapter and, and the way we read it now as adults does kind of raise some interesting questions about that. 
Thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and the Polyjuice Potion. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. If you have thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today, especially Rowling's decision to keep Hermione out of the action, please email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com. You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at www.theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for next time when we peek into Chapter 13, The Very Secret Diary. I'm Madeline. And I'm David, and we'll see you next time on The Harry Podcast. Knox.